Welcome back, folks, to another episode of Bull Scat and Butterflies. I'm your host, Miss Butterfly, and I'm so glad to be back. We had two weeks of no podcast. If you listened to the last podcast that I published on January 20th, I was really struggling. I was sick and I stayed sick. I'm still sick. I stayed sick um, two weeks now uh, with the upper respiratory thing, some kind of upper respiratory infection. And I have been struggling, folks. I have really been knocked down with this thing. And I finally... Uh, two days ago, actually the day before yesterday, I went to an actual doctor to seek medical attention. Um, I usually would not have waited so long, but I don't have health insurance. And my kids also got sick. So of course, I took them right away to follow up. But you know, me, I said, well, let me try all of this holistic, natural stuff. And I tried all kind of stuff. I tried oregano oil and vitamin C and colloidal silver and, I mean, echinacea. And all, I mean, I'm talking all kind of stuff I tried. And all, I mean, just all kind of, you wouldn't believe, garlic and honey. Anyway, needless to say... I missed two weeks of podcast because I literally was just knocked flat on my back. And then this past weekend, I started having fevers and I was like, okay, I guess I surrender. I finally give up. I'll go to the doctor and get something. So now I got some good old fashioned antibiotics and steroids, still coughing, still a little short of breath, but on the mend finally. So I missed everybody for those two weeks, but... <clears throat> If you listen to uh, the last episode, we're going to pick up where we left off, where my marriage ended, and I ended up on my own. Once again, I, yeah, it was awful. It was terrible. I was by myself. <laughs> it was some kind of awfulness, I tell you. Um I was by myself, a single mom with two kids at the time, in public housing, in the ghetto, alone. And I got a job as a waitress at a restaurant. that was, It was in walking distance. It was a pizza shop. I got a job waiting tables there. And, of course, you know, I applied for food stamps and Medicaid and welfare and every other benefit that they um, offered, I think, they gave me 300 and some dollars a month in cash. My rent was $98. And then they gave me food stamps. And then they gave us Medicaid. And then because we were on welfare, I had two options. I had to look for a job and obtain a job or I had to go to school. <clears throat> so, I mean, I had a, I had a job, but I don't know if people realize this or what part of the world you're in, but when you work in the United States of America as a waitress, and at that time, my hourly pay was $2.18 an hour. 
And maybe in some parts of the world, this is a good thing. But in the United States, this is not even the minimum wage um, for the land. But somehow they have a loophole for people who wait tables, for people who receive tips. They're not required to pay them minimum wage. So I got paid $2.18 an hour. And that means that if I didn't get any tips and I worked eight hours, it was made like less than 20 bucks. Yeah. So just remember that just, this is a totally unrelated thing, but just a little side note. When you go out to your favorite restaurant to eat your favorite meal with your favorite someone special, tip your waiter or waitress, please. Because these people are on their feet for 8 or 10 or 12 hours or more. They are not making minimum wage. And I'm pretty sure it's not too far. It hasn't risen too far from $2 an hour, which is what it was when I was doing it. But um, these people depend on your tip. So please don't go out and be stingy with your tip. Now, if your service is bad... Hey, well, then they they made their own bed. They got a lie in it. But if your service was good, tip your waiter and waitress. Um, anyway, okay, back on back on track. So um, I decided that I didn't want to be a waitress for the rest of my life. Um, and I decided to go to school. And so welfare, the welfare people or the welfare department or whatever, the state, um, would would pay, would help you go to school. They would pay for child care so that you could go to school to continue to receive your benefits. So I initially enrolled into the community college and my major was biology because I had this dream of becoming a scientist and finding like cures to different diseases and things like that. So that's what I initially started with. And um, I mean, I really, I still to this day enjoy the sciences, but I started and I asked myself, what kind of job am I going to get if I graduate with a degree in biology? Like, what does that look like in real life? Am I going to have a degree in biology and be working like at McDonald's? Like, how does that look? (laughs) Because I was like, wait a minute, I need to rethink this because I need to study something that when I graduate, I can, with with a fair amount of confidence, I can get a job. So I said, wait a minute, I need to I need to go back to the drawing board and I need to rethink this. So I went to the guidance counselor at the school to seek some advice and um I, you know, since I was interested in the sciences and biology, I was advised to go into something in the medical profession. And that sounded like a good idea to me. I mean, so uh, what I chose initially was medical laboratory technician because, you know, I'd be in the laboratory. I'd be near microscopes. I'd be looking at bacteria in the lab. So it seemed like, you know, the natural progression. So that's what I enrolled in. And I started classes, and I was sitting in the lab, staring at a microscope, and I very quickly 
went immediately to sleep. Like, <laughs> I was snoring the whole, I mean, like, I was dead to the world. And I, every class, every class, I mean, there was not like, it was not a one-off. It wasn't like, oh, this class, I'm tired. No, every class, I could not stay awake through the entire class. I mean, I was like, <sighs> and I said to myself, oh my God, somebody's going to die um, if I'm their medical laboratory technician. So I went back to my guidance counselor. I said to her, you got to help me. You got to get me out of there. I can't like, it's too quiet. You can hear a pin drop. Nobody talks, nobody moves. It's just like, shh. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. I can't do it. I'm bored out of my mind. I cannot do it. And so, so she said, okay, she said, I'm not, you're already in it. You know, you're not supposed to get out, blah, blah, blah. There was so, some whole big deal. So then she said to me, um, okay, you, the net, the other things that you could choose were like, I could become a radio, radiologic technician. I could become a nurse. I could become a respiratory therapist. I could become an occupational um, tech, something like that, or physical therapy tech. There were lots of different options for me to pick from. Um, so I picked something different. I, I didn't want to do that at all. Um, I totally did not want to do do what I was doing. So I boiled it down between becoming a nurse and becoming a respiratory therapist. And so I chose respiratory care. And that was because it boiled down to, to two simple things for me. Um, nursing had to clean poop and vomit and pee and all the other body fluids and respiratory's focus was on just mucus. And I said, hey, you know, respiratory has less body secretions or, you know, body fluids to deal with. And they only work primarily from the waist up. I'm going to go with respiratory care. So, you know, and plus I had asthma. So I was interested in, you know, the background information as it related to, you know, caring for someone with asthma and the disease process and so forth. So I chose respiratory care. So I waited tables, I went to school, took my kids to daycare, and lived in public housing and just tried to keep my head above the water. I eventually switched jobs, waitressing jobs. I got a job at another restaurant um, where I waited tables. And um, I waited tables at night and I went to school during the day. I was so flipping tired. I did not have a car. Um, I just basically got on one bus in the morning early, took my kids to daycare center, dropped them off. And, um, well, before they started going to the daycare center, actually I had, um, they give you like a list of providers and, I chose someone that was kind of sort of near my house as close as I could find. And it was a wonderful young woman um, who did daycare out of her apartment, but she didn't speak English and I didn't speak Spanish. And, you know, I would drop my son off 
and uh, <clears throat> setting my daughter off. And um, we didn't know what, I mean, like, we had no idea what the other was saying. I, all, I, all I knew was, like, don't hurt my baby. <laughs> like, 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 I don't, I don't, and she, I would pick my son up and she would just, I mean, she had lots to say. I had no idea what it was. So I said to myself, okay, I probably need to find, either I'm going to learn Spanish or I'm going to find another provider so that we can communicate with one another. And so um, I just start. I started taking the kids to a daycare center. And I, then I would, so I would drop them off on the bus and I would go back, run back to the bus stop. There was a bus that came probably 10 or 12 minutes later that I needed to literally get off the first bus and almost break out in a run with a book bag on my back and a baby in the front and running, you know, and a kid on the side. I mean, running to the, to the childcare provider, dropping them off and then running, literally running back to the bus stop. And oftentimes I missed that bus and then there was a longer wait for the next bus. But anyway, so get on the bus, go take this bus all the way to the other side of town to the college and then sit through the classes, which were not easy, by the way. There was one year of prerequisites that were required, the anatomy and physiology, biology, chemistry, communication, all kind of prereqs before I could actually get into the actual program. And then once I got into the actual program, those classes were super hard. I'm talking unbelievably difficult because there were concepts that had never been presented with before. Um and all kind of stuff about, you know, just the respiratory system, breathing, um, ventilation, oxygenation. I mean, there was a lot going on, folks. <laughs> a lot for me to absorb and a lot for me to try to balance and be a single mom and all that kind of jazz. And I think, you know, at that time, people didn't have cell phones. There was no such thing as a cell phone that you carried around in your pocket. No, no, I'm lying. There were, but like only, I don't know, very, very well-to-do people had them and they were carried around like in, like in a lunchbox type thing, or they were built into people's cars. There was nobody walking around with a phone. At that time, people had pagers. So you could have a pager that people could page you on that would beep. Okay, young people, you probably don't know what the hell I'm talking about. It's a little plastic device that somebody could call and it would beep and they would enter their number into the phone and it would show up on this little plastic device and you would read it and then you'd go find a phone either somebody's phone desktop phone wall phone or if you were in the street you'd go find a pay phone a pay phone is a phone that you put money in to make phone calls <laughs> and I remember it used to be a dime then it used to be a quarter anyway and you'd return the call to the person who paged you just a little history lesson for those you know young folks that have no idea what I'm talking about but anyway so you could have a pager so there was no phone so I remember um, during that time, it was more than a year. We didn't have a phone. I didn't even have a house phone. I had no phone at all. I mean, 
I was like, how do I call for help? Well, I guess you better not need anything. <laughs> but I didn't have money for a phone. I mean, where 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 was phone money coming from? A phone was a luxury. It wasn't it wasn't like a necessity. You just did the best that you could. So anyway, I went through um school and school had its own challenges, needless to say. School was like oh boy, there were a lot of issues at school. Um and that's probably a podcast for another day. I think that's something to dig into on another podcast on the topic of the educational system here in the United States for minorities and what that looks like and what that journey is like. And what do you do when you face discrimination or unfair treatment and all that kind of stuff? Because school, I had to fight through school like I mean, there was all kind of inconsistencies and all kind of attempts to, you know, derail me and lose my paperwork. This is a good one. We lost your paperwork, so you didn't turn it in, that kind of thing. And I'll just give a little side note here. Anybody, it doesn't even matter if you're in school, whether you're in school, whether you're at work, whether you're wherever you are. If you have to turn in documentation to somewhere, make a copy. Just saying, just a side note, make a copy for yourself and keep your copy. Do not ever turn in paperwork to anybody. I don't care who they are without having a copy, because if they lose it, there is a chance they will say you didn't submit it, which is what happened to me at school. Um, There was lots of stuff that happened throughout that program, but one of them was that. That uh, the very last day of one of the semesters, the clinical instructor told me, oh, by the way, you failed this class because I don't have any of your paperwork. And the process was we were to submit our paperwork into a drop box, which she was supposed to collect. And um, the clinical instructor said, well, I don't have yours. So that means you didn't turn it in. So you fail. Now, remember, people, my whole livelihood depends on me passing because here I am, a single mom working this crap job for two dollars and 18 cents an hour with two babies who look to me for everything that they need living in the ghetto and trying to make a better life for myself. I was not a 17 year old or 18 year old kid out of high school whose parents was caring for um, them and sponsoring their college education, I was not sitting at home in my parents' house eating bonbons with my feet on the sofa where, you know, I had other options. My very livelihood depended on me passing. And so that message didn't go over well at all. But that was just an example. That's just one example of some of the crap that I had to go through in this school program. But I promise you, I will make an entire podcast to discuss school and how you navigate the educational waters and, uh, you know, ensure your success because there are those forces and elements and people out there. Unfortunately, I hate to tell you, but there are those who don't want to see you succeed for whatever reason. Uh, either they're jealous or they don't like you because of who you are, or what you look like, or they're just miserable people. I, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, people do strange things for their own unique reasons, but 
I have learned how to navigate those waters. And so there are certain things you need to do to ensure your success. And we will discuss that in another podcast. So back on track. Um, so I graduated <laughs> and I was able to get a job in that profession and I got my first job and I think my first job I was making $16 in some sense. Maybe it was $16, I think in 48 cent or something like that or 53 cent. I don't remember the change part, but I know it was $16 an hour, which was a huge leap from $2 and 18 cents an hour. So that really gave me the ability to get out of public housing, which was one of my goals and to not have to wait tables and to get a phone in the house. And so life got better. Um, life got better. We moved out of public housing. We got off welfare, which was another goal because I don't know who thinks it's fun to be on welfare. Maybe some people do. It seems like there are there are a population of people that are happy um, being taken care of by the government. But I, I did not fall into that category because to me, it was not fun at all. Um, so anyway, that was always one of my goals. And we moved out of the public housing and we moved into, wow, we actually moved about an hour away. Uh, into a townhouse and just me and the kids just surviving but um, I ended up moving into a place that I really couldn't afford and I did my best I mean there I guess there were expenses that I didn't anticipate I'll put it to you like that because remember this is I'm learning as I go you know I'm a young woman I have these two kids I'm by myself. I'm learning as I go. And that's how life is a lot of times, especially if you don't have like a mentor or somebody who has gone ahead of you and done it already, who can kind of guide you in the right direction and give you some good advice. Uh, if you don't have, you know, a grandmother, a grandfather, an auntie, an uncle, you know, um, somebody who can say, hey, listen, uh, think about this, consider this, blah, blah, blah. And so I was just kind of winging it out there on my own and I ended up moving way too far out well part of the reason I moved so far away from the city was because that's the only place I could afford the area that I lived in was quite expensive and I found a townhouse I think it was about a thousand or or eleven hundred dollars a month which sounds probably well it depends I guess it depends on where you live or what area you live in but it either sounds extremely cheap or it sounds extremely expensive or somewhere in the middle but at the time which was in the 90s so 1990 you know the late 1990s that was a lot of money but that was cheap for the area that I was in so that put me at least one hour outside of the city where I was working. And so I also had to obtain a vehicle because there's no bus for that. So I had to get a vehicle and all the things, all the expenses that go with that gasoline, car insurance, um, car maintenance, rent, electricity, water, all this kind of stuff. Um, all this kind of stuff. I, there were lots of things I don't think that I anticipated in terms of expenses. And 
with my salary that I was making, yes, it was a huge jump, but I think that it, I did not make enough. I don't think I made enough. So anyway, moved out there, lived in the place. It was a very nice place. It was a very nice neighborhood out in the suburbs, but eventually ended up getting evicted because I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to pay all the things that were necessary to pay on the the money that I was making. And I oh, and by the way, people, I was not receiving any child support. Surprise. Um I don't know if that shocks you or not, but you know, my ex-husband who wouldn't pay a $98 rent, yeah, he wouldn't pay child support either. And so that whole process took place where we had to go to court and they set them up on child support. And let me just make a side note on that topic as well. You know, I knew that my husband at the time did not make a lot of money. When we were together, he was working as a cook in a restaurant and he was making $5 and I think 65 cents an hour, which is no money. And so, um, anyway, it's no money. So I talked to him when everything went down and we ended up being separated. I talked to him one evening and I said, look, I know that you don't make a lot of money. You actually make a very little bit of money. And, um, I think that we should stay out of the court system. You know, I don't want us to go to court and try to um, get on child support. I don't want these people in our business. I don't think we need to have the government in our business dictating to you uh, you need to pay this to take care of your kids. You know, you need to take care of your kids. You don't need somebody else to tell you this. And I just don't want these people involved to that degree. So this was my offer. I said, why don't you just pay $50 a week in child support? And then if you can't pay, you know, if there comes a week you can't pay, why don't you just call, check and say, look, this situation, I can't pay. Um, just check and see. Maybe you could go get a few groceries. You know, maybe the kids need a pair of socks or a pair of shoes for 20 bucks. And maybe, you know, you could just buy a chicken or a loaf of bread or something. You know, I'm flexible. I will work with you because it doesn't benefit me or the children for you to be, you know, oppressed. You know, for you to have, it doesn't benefit me or the children to see you fall. And, you know, so that was my position. So we shook hands. We agree. It was a great idea. Sounded good. I was fine with it. So that never happened. Like, never. And I would call and I say, hey, listen, the kids need this. The kids need that. The kids are still in diapers. Like, hey, what about, like, I don't know. You want to bring a pack of diapers? You want to, nothing, 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 nothing. Like, I got no cooperation. So I was like, okay, well, I guess we got to do it the hard way. I tried to do it the easy way. I tried to be amicable. I tried to do things in such a way that would benefit you um, and not put you in a position where you got this, you know, you got the state, you know, 
telling you what you have to do, what you must do. So anyway, we ended up and we went anyway and we ended up going for child support and the judge ordered him, I think, to pay. It was it was several hundred dollars a month. And he didn't pay that either, though. (laughs) He didn't pay the court ordered child support either. He just disappeared, faded out, you know. Um, So anyway, I wasn't getting any child support. So we got evicted. Um, and the kids, there were two at the time, they went to a neighbor's house and she agreed to take the kids and let them stay there. And I slept at my job. I ended up, I went to my boss, my manager at the time at the hospital that I was working at. And I said, look, you know, I've lost my home and would it be okay if I slept in the equipment room, there's a chair in there. Do you mind if I sleep in there? And um, he said, sure, go ahead. And so I used to go to work and I used to work from, I used to start work from three o'clock in the afternoon because they had eight hour shifts at this particular hospital. But I used to work from three o'clock in the afternoon to 11, which is eight and then continue from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., which was 16. I used to do two 16s and an 8. And so what I would do was come in and do those hours, get off at 7, and I would go in the equipment room and I would sleep from like 7.30 till about 2 in the afternoon. And and when I say sleep, I mean, I'm putting that like does. <laughs> When I say sleep, I don't mean I was sleep. I mean, in very loose terms, I slept. I sat in a chair and I dozed off periodically. But remember, I'm in the equipment room in a job. So people are walking in and out of this room to get equipment because they need it to work. So when I say sleep, I don't mean sleep. I mean, like maybe napping at best is what you could call it. And then at two, I would get up out of the chair. They had a shower available at work. I would take a shower, put on another pair of scrubs, and I would work again. I would call my kids. I would say, hey, how are you guys doing? What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. At that point, I guess a couple years had gone by because they weren't in diapers anymore. They weren't babies at that point. They were probably seven and eight or eight and nine, somewhere in there. And... um then they would be upset and say, oh, the kids here are teasing us and all kind of crap. So it was so freaking stressful. I mean, it was so stressful. It's stressful beyond belief. And then to drive from the job home was an hour one way. And it was so flipping freaking stressful, full of stress. Um, and then, um, yeah, so anyway, so then I said, okay, I have to secure a home. I have to secure housing some kind of way. And, um, there was a guy working with me who I talked to about my situation. He had a house in the city where the hospital was. And he was like, well, I'm doing construction on the house, but I have a room if you want to rent that room. I'm like, okay, well, that's a better situation than sleeping in the equipment room. 
So I was like, sure, yeah, let me do it. And so I said, okay, I'm going to rent this room. And I don't remember what he was charging me for the room. I really don't remember. And he was doing construction. When he said he was doing construction, the house was in the shambles. But, you know, like I said, it was better than sleeping in an equipment room. The only problem was it was like the first week I was there, I go there, I'm in my room. And, you know, I'm laying in the bed finally and I'm asleep and I wake up and this guy's in my room with no clothes on. And I'm like, oh, it's not that kind of party, baby. No, 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 no. I'm not paying you in flesh for this room. I'm paying you real money, real green dollar bills. So we're not this, we're not doing this. So that didn't work out. I had to leave because he had other plans. So anyway, back to being homeless. Um, And... uh so finally I was like, okay, I got to figure out, I got to figure out a solution to this problem because this is not working. Um, so I called my mother and I said, look, this is the situation. I need some help. Can I come home? She was like, yes, you could come home. I said, okay, great. So I gathered up my children and gathered up myself and I went home and, um, I was like, okay, now I got to figure out, I got to come up with another plan and because of the profession that I was in, I started working like agency work and I was able to kind of be sent to different hospitals on an as needed basis. And I was just start hustling. I was like, I'm going to work here. I tried to work every day because I needed to have my own place. Definitely. I needed my own place. And so... I, and I think I was working, I was working everywhere. Like I think in this metropolitan area, I don't even know if there's probably a few hospitals I never worked at, but there are only a few in that area. So I worked everywhere and I worked at this place. One of the places that I worked at was this nursing home where they had patients who were on ventilators and trach patients and um and ventil and I'm sorry I guess I'll give a quick definition uh, a ventilator is a machine that breathes for you when you can't breathe for yourself and that is usually managed by a respiratory therapist and also trach trach or having a trach or being a trach patient is someone who has an artificial airway um, cut into their neck so that they can breathe because for whatever reason and the reasons can be multitudinous they no longer are able to breathe as normal human beings breathe through your nose and your mouth and so it became necessary for a physician or a surgeon to cut a hole in their neck and put a little plastic tube for them to breathe out of and that is what a trach is it's called a tracheostomy um and the device that goes in is a trach. And again, that usually requires the services of a respiratory therapist to manage and um, keep that airway patent or keep that airway open. So that was the kind of patients I took care of there. And it was at that facility that I met a, a middle-aged lady, very nice woman, um, who I became friends with. Very nice woman, um, very hardworking woman. She was a CNA or a nurse's aide or ClinTech. I mean, they go by so many names, but essentially she was the person that helped the patients um, 
with their daily activities, help clean the patients, turn the patients, walk the patients, feed the patients, and all kind of stuff. Um, the caring part. Um, she was that person. So I became friends with her. She was so friendly. She was a very nice, um, pleasant woman. And we became good friends, older than me, but um, she she became my very good friend. And at that time, I think the holidays were fast approaching. And I had mentioned to her that I wanted to go. One of the things I wanted to do was to go to New York City and go Christmas shopping for my kids because I thought that would be pretty cool. And she said, hey, I used to live in New York. My mom lives in New York and we're going to go and drive up to to New York. Do you want to ride with us, me and my kids? And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. And um, so I don't remember what day it was, but it was sometime in an, in the uh, near future. Uh, maybe it was a week, maybe it was two weeks later, but we ended up, you know, she gave me her address and I went to her apartment and we ended up um, driving together to New York. Now, when I got to our apartment, I met her children who were all adults because she was middle age. So she was in her either late forties or she was 50 years old at the time. And I was in my twenties. So I met her, um, she had two daughter, two daughters and two sons. And, um, that's where I met my next husband was one of her sons but anyway I'm I'm moving too far ahead in the story so um so I ended up meeting everybody we took two cars and I rode with the brothers and we rode up to New York which was about uh, about a four four and a half hour drive from where we were and so we drove up to New York and we talked the whole time in a car kind of got to know each other and then he kind of stuck with me like glue um we went around he took me around and took me to different stores and showed me different things and as I shop he carried all my bags he was just such a sweet guy I mean the sweetest guy very kind and very well mannered and I really liked him I was like hey I can hang out with you and handsome and um so that's how that relationship started and we started dating and um everything was going well well let me back up a little bit for a second so and let me see what can i call him i will call him i think i will call him billy let's call him billy anyway so um, like I said, Billy was kind and nice and handsome and gentle. Now, one thing about Billy was that he had a disability. He had had some kind of head injury or got hit in the head or something happened. And his left arm had tremors. And so when I say tremors, kind of like that Parkinson's type affect where you know when you see um and it's usually older people or elderly people have parkinson's i mean i don't know what the age is or the typical onset of it but typically it's someone that's later in life that develops parkinson's disease and they have that tremor so he had that 
but just in his left arm. And then his left foot kind of dropped. So he had lost some, I don't know if you want to say muscle tone to it or some, the control over it. So he had it, he had generalized left-sided weakness, but he walked. I mean, he walked and moved around and took care of himself. So he wasn't, he wasn't in a wheelchair. He wasn't handicapped like, you know, somebody that you look at and you say, oh my gosh, okay, this, this person has a problem. You really, um, you know, when you, when at first glance or whatever, you didn't really, um, you could actually meet him in a dim room and not know. I mean, you could really, you know, he could kind of conceal it somewhat and you would not necessarily know that he was handicapped, especially if he was just standing still. Even if he was walking, you wouldn't really know um, that he was, you know, you, you, I mean, I don't think it was blatantly obvious at first glance, but after a few minutes, you kind of see the shaking and the shaking sometimes would be worse than other times. So sometimes, you know, he had just a little bit of shaking and other times that that arm would be like, you know, shaking violently. So it just depended, I I guess, on his anxiety level or whatever. So anyway, I, I mean, for me, that wasn't a deal breaker because, like I said, he was somebody who was self-sufficient and independent and he was wasn't anything that he wasn't able to do he was doing everything he needed to do so to me I didn't really count him out I didn't say to myself oh well you know he has a disability or he has this issue that you know I don't want to talk to you or I'm not going to date you because of this no I didn't count him out I don't do that I don't I don't throw anybody away especially for what they look like on the outside oh no 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 I don't do that so we started dating and he was such a sweetheart. Oh my gosh. This man was so kind and so sweet and so caring and so gentle and so loving. I mean, he was just a real, real sweetheart. He was so, so nice. Um, So we dated for a little while and then he said he loved me. Hey now. <laughs> I was like, hey. <laughs> Um, so anyway, shortly thereafter, he proposed and I said yes, and we got married. That was in 1999. So, um, yeah. And so life started on this new adventure, this new journey. And, um, it was exciting. I mean, it was good and everything seemed to be working out well and everybody was happy and I was happy for a little while at least and um yeah I mean I think at this point everything this was kind of like um everything was good at this point and, um, you know, we lived and life continued and everything was fine. And then one day, um, his mother called me and she told me, she said, Hey, I want to let you know 
that Billy's best friend, who used to live in New York, was killed in a car accident. And I'm just letting you know, um, because the funeral is coming. And she said, but I don't think that you should tell Billy. Because I think you will be too upset by this. And I was like, well, you just told me and I don't know. So I need to tell him. I mean, anyway, so I said, well, I said to myself, let me tell him, you know, it didn't make sense to me. So I told my husband, Billy, hey, listen, you know, I have something I need to talk to you about. Sit down. Um, I need to tell you something very serious. And I sat him down and I said, listen, you know, your mom just called. She said that your best friend in New York was in a car accident and he died. And he was devastated. Like this was his best friend. And so um, we decided we would go to the funeral. Okay, sounds good. And so we got ready and got set and did everything that we needed to do. Oh, we had a baby. Oh, did I forget to mention that? Yeah, I guess I did forget that part. I might have to circle back around to that because I was focused on this. I'll come back to that in a second. But um, so we go to New York to this funeral of this young man. And I want to say this guy was 22. He was somewhere between 22 and he and 25 the guy that died so he's a very young man okay and um and I think he had been drinking I mean I think he had been drinking and driving and crashed the car and ended up getting ejected and ended up getting killed so side note don't drink and drive okay back on track so we go to the funeral and all his, you know, friends and buddies are there and we go into the funeral home and he sees his friend laying in a casket dead. And literally this man was just heartbroken. I mean, he was sobbing and he was just devastated. He was so devastated I mean, he was sobbing so much and, and so broken, so heartbroken. I, I guess this is a guy that he grew up with like a brother. And this man was so devastated that the funeral home director had to put us all out of, you know, the room, the viewing room, just to gather ourselves because he was making such a scene. And I was like, he's going to knock the casket down, the body is going to roll out. It's not going to be pretty at all. It's going to be terrible. So anyway, so we come out, we go outside, he tries to gather himself, all this stuff. And so we make it through that experience. We come back home the very next day. I'm in the bed sleeping. I wake up. Billy is sitting in a chair next to the bed. And at this point, we had a daughter, but I, I'm going to have to come back to that. To that. I, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. But um. Billy says to me, you know, he's just staring at me. And I'm like, hey, what's up, babes? What's going on? And he said to me, who are you? And I was like, what do you mean, who am I? Now, he was a big time practical joker. So he was good for telling a joke and making you laugh. And always, you know, he always has some shenanigans going on. So I wasn't immediately startled. 
I was like, okay, it's early in the morning. It's too early for you to start your stuff. But he said again, he said, who are you? I was like, what do you mean? Who am I? I'm your wife. Uh, What are you talking about? And then we had our daughter who was a baby. And I was like, and this is your baby. He was like, that's a cute baby, but that's not my baby. And he said, I got to go back home. And he was like, where am I at? And I was like, uh, and and I was just, I didn't even know what to say, but he was like, I got to get back to New York. And so then I started to realize something is terribly wrong here. I mean, like something is horribly wrong because this guy's not joking. He has no idea who I am or who his baby is. And I don't know what to do with this issue. So I called his mom and I said to his mother, hey, listen, I just woke up. Billy was sitting in a chair and he just told me he didn't know who I was and he doesn't know who his daughter is. And I'm scared and I don't know what to do. I said to her, can you please come here? Can you come over? Because maybe he will recognize you as his mom because he's getting agitated. He thinks I'm holding him hostage because he keeps saying, look, I got to go home. You can't hold me here. And I'm like, wait, 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 don't go outside. Um, just, just hang here for a little bit. And so it's, it's making him agitated. So anyway, his mother said, yeah, sure. I'll come over. So thank God his mother comes over, you know, she's knocking at the door. I open the door. It's his mom. He sees his mom. He's like, Hey mom. I'm like, Oh, thank God. At least he recognized his mother. And so she was like, where are you going? He's like, Mom, I got to get out of here. I need to go back home, you know, to New York. He thought he was in New York, all this kind of drama. So the mom and I decided we needed to take Billy to the hospital. He needed to go to somebody's hospital because something had gone wrong in his brain. Something was wrong. And so... We came up with this story that we were going to drive him where he wanted to go. He was just going to have to give us directions and I wasn't going to hold him hostage anymore. And we were just going to drive him where he wanted to go. So and where we were going was to a hospital where I had been working. And um, we didn't even come through the front. I couldn't even bring him through the front of the hospital. First of all, I couldn't even get him to the hospital Because as we came up the street towards the hospital and he recognized that we were going to a hospital, he immediately became angry, jumped out the car and took off running down the street in the opposite direction away from the hospital. So now I'm really like, what the hell is going on? So I'm looking at his mother, his mother's looking at me and I'm like, looking at the baby and I'm like, this dude is running down the street like away from the hospital like I'm trying to kidnap him so anyway um his mom is able to you know he circles back his mom is able to calm him and convince him hey we need to go in here and just get you checked out blah 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 so we take him in the back way through like a back type employee entrance door into emergency room And, you know, I flagged somebody down. I'm like, hey, I need help because, you know, my husband is over here. 
he, he woke up completely disoriented and confused this morning. I need, I don't know what's wrong with him. I mean, he recently, you know, buried his best friend. I don't know if he's having a nervous breakdown or what's happening. And um, they said, okay. So they put him in a room and sat him on a stretcher. And I was like, okay, cool. And the next thing I knew, I heard some commotion going on in the room. And he was fighting with the hospital workers. This dude was fighting with the hospital workers, throwing nurses around, throwing nurses' aides around. He jumped off the stretcher. He was running through the emergency room. I mean, it was a scene out of like a crazy movie. And finally, there was a big guy, a guy that was working in radiology who grabbed him and tossed him onto the stretcher, slammed him down onto the stretcher, and they tied him up to the stretcher, put him in restraints, like four-point leather restraints, because he had an assaulted several people. And this was the beginning of my nightmare. This was the beginning of a real absolute freaking I, I'm I, I I can't even like I cannot even begin to tell you what my experience is like in this little short few minutes we got left in this podcast but I am going to walk through my experience living with someone who had mental health issues what that was like, what do you do, what is it like to be a caretaker for someone that you love that's close to you that's suffering from mental illness, the discrimination that you face if you are mentally ill, if you have a loved one that is mentally ill, because it's not like going to the hospital with a broken leg and everybody is sympathetic to your pain and your injury and trying to figure out how to help you. When you show up at the hospital with some mental illness, you are a damn pariah. And so that was when I knew that there was a real problem. I had no idea how serious things would get and I had no idea how this story would end up. But I that was just like, I, I just didn't know what to do. But um. Anyway, we're going to wrap it up here for this week's episode. And next week, I will pick up where we left off here. And um, I will continue telling you about my journey. Um, But anyway, okay, folks, we made it. I made it through a whole podcast without coughing my head off. Hey, progress is being made. I'm feeling better. Praise God that, you know, I got help and I'm on the mend. So I want to thank, send a shout out to all of my followers and all of my listeners. Thank you for being so patient with me. Forgive me for missing two weeks. I was really laid flat on my back and I could barely breathe. So, but thank you for tuning in again. Thank you for joining me in this podcast. Um, I hope that, you know, what I'm sharing with you is helping somebody. I hope it's encouraging to you. I hope that, you know, if you had similar experience experiences as I've had, that you know that you are not alone 
and that you can survive these things. And as always, this podcast is no bull, just fly. So I hope you have a fantastic week, folks. And I can't wait to talk to you again next week. All right. Take care now. Bye bye.